0: good to be with you this evening. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians tonight, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 through chapter 2 and verse number 5 together form one very important unit in this book that focuses on the work of the Apostle Paul as a preacher. Now, the book of Colossians is easily outlined with these terms. In chapter 1, you have doctrine. In chapter 2, you have defense. And in chapter 3, you have duty or responsibility. And as we look at this section that starts in chapter 1, verse 27, and goes on through the fifth verse of chapter 2, of course, we have a transition verse or a transition section. In chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, the Apostle Paul has an incredible section in which he describes a number of truths about Jesus Christ. He describes Jesus Christ as being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He describes him as uh, being him through whom all things have been made, visible and visible. He describes his uh, authority, he describes his lordship, and a number of other things in those five verses. And then immediately after, Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20, after having let let it be known that Christ is the focus of the gospel, and yea, all things, in verse 15 to 20... Now in verse 23, the apostle Paul says, but me, Paul, I am not the focus. Christ is the focus, 15 to 20, I am but a servant, chapter 1 and verse number 23. So now then, in chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 1, verse number 29, we have a discussion of Paul's work as a preacher from the standpoint of, we'll say it this way, himself. In other words, the spotlight is focused on him, what he does and what his task is all about. In chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, he tells us that he has a God-given responsibility. He describes himself as a steward. And the point that he brings out is that God that God had made him a steward Of the mystery. And just for a moment, press the pause button and in your mind, go back to our study of the book of Ephesians. Remember in chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul describes the eternal purpose of God. But he also, in that section, describes the mystery and how his role it was that that God had made him a minister or a proclaimer of the mystery. And what is the mystery? Of course, it refers to that which is hidden in the mind of God, which is made known or which humanity knows only when God chooses to reveal it. But it really has reference to the gospel. It has reference to the scheme of redemption, God's eternal plan to save mankind through Jesus Christ. Now back to the book of Colossians. In similar fashion, Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 24 and 25, I am a steward of the mystery, I have a God-given responsibility. And then in chapter 1 verse 26 and 27, he says, here's what the message is. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. He has a God-given task, verse 24 and 25, to proclaim to the Gentiles, Christ in you, the hope of glory, or the hope of glory is Christ in you, verse 26 and 27. And so in verse 28 and 29, he describes his effort. He says he labors tirelessly to teach and to warn and to present all people perfect in Jesus Christ. Christ is the focus, chapter one, fifteen to 20. Paul is the servant, chapter 1, verse number 23. And he's been given a God-given task, verse 24 and 25, to proclaim Christ as the hope of glory, verse 26 and 27. And so then in verse 28 and 29, he labors tirelessly toward that end. Now we go to chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And the question then, or the emphasis rather, shifts a little bit. Because in the last section of chapter 1, Paul talks about what he does in person. Here's my job. I go from place to place, and I preach, and I teach, and I labor among people. Ah, But what about the people whom I've not met? What about the people who I've not seen? The people who I've I've not even yet to go and see them face to face. That's chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. So in a subtle way, the emphasis now switches from the Apostle Paul to people. And in the first five verses of this chapter, what Paul is going to describe is the fact that though he was not there in person at Colossae or Laodicea or anywhere else in the Lycus Valley for that matter, yet he had a great concern for those whom he had never met. And his concern was that they be grounded in their knowledge so as not to be disturbed by those who are false. So in Colossians 2, verses 1 to 5, I want us to look at this section tonight. We're going to break it down into three sections. There is, first of all, Paul's struggle. That's Colossians 2, verse number 1. There is, second, Paul's desire. That's Colossians 2, verse 2 and 3. And third, there is Paul's warning. That's Colossians 2, verse 4 and 5. Let's look at his desire, Colossians 2 and verse number 1. The Apostle Paul says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. I want you to look at the word conflict or the word struggle depending on your translation. And I want you to notice backward in verse number 29 of chapter 1 that the Apostle Paul in the New King James Version uses the word striving. To this end I also labor, he says, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. This word striving and our word conflict in chapter 2 verse 1 are identical. And the word is literally to agonize. This word originally in uh, ancient Greek had really the connotation of an athletic competition, of an athlete working and training and laboring hard in order to excel in an athletic competition. But as time goes on and as we uh, enter into New Testament times, that word takes on an entirely different meaning. No longer does it refer to an athletic competition exclusively, But it begins to refer to the idea of fighting or striving. So in Luke chapter 13 and verse number 24, Jesus makes this statement. Luke 13 and verse number 24, he says, Strive to enter in through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Our word is strive. And the idea is to fight, to agonize. And even in this book that we're looking at, Colossians 4 and verse 12, later on, the Apostle Paul talks about prayer. And he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers. Same word, laboring this time, though, instead of striving. So now in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, listen, you folks in Colossae and Laodicea and everywhere else in your area, I want you to know something. I've never been there, I've never met you, I've never seen you face to face, but I have have a struggle for you. I agonize. It's an untiring toil, a labor, a fight. Really, it's an intense wrestling match for the cause of the gospel. And the point is that he has an internal struggle. That he gives great effort for these folks through his concern, through his prayers, through his letters... And even through physical pain and exhaustion, and he does all of this for the benefit of other people so that they may know the gospel. It's similar to what he says in Second Corinthians chapter 11 in verse number 28 and in Galatians 4 in verse number 19. I struggle, he says, with labor pains until Christ be formed within you. We've talked before and seen numerous passages about the great care that the Apostle Paul had for the people with whom he came into contact, for the brethren and the congregations with whom he worked. But this time we're reading something totally different. This time we're looking at a passage which tells us that the Apostle Paul has the same level of intense inner fighting and wrestling and turmoil and uh, strife and uh, agony and agony—all of these things that he's doing for the cause of the gospel for people he's never even met. So step back for a moment and ask two very obvious questions: What is um, the level of our struggle? What's the lever of you, level of your struggle for number one, the lost—those who are outside of the body of Christ? those folks that we see in the grocery store maybe on the television we've never met them we don't know anything about them we don't even know their name what do we think about them could it be honestly said of us that we have this same level of in this same internal uh, struggle if you will that Paul had where we want so badly for them to hear and to know and to obey the truth that we are exerting great effort in order to try and make that possible but second and more true to the context what about the church? Because Paul is not talking specifically here necessarily about those who are outside of Christ, although that's included, but he is writing particularly to the church. He's writing to Christians whom he's never met. And he says, I want you all to know that I have a great internal struggle for you because I desire so much for you to know the gospel and to grow and to be stable, if you will, in your spiritual maturity and your conviction what about congregations all over our country and all over our world that we've never heard of Christians whom we likely will never meet yet we hear reports of things that go on in different parts of the world or our country or our state but what do we think about our brethren in uh, those places do we pray for them do we think about them do we agonize over them do we have the same kind of desire that they might grow and that they might be stable and strong? That was found in the Apostle Paul. Speaking of desire, let's look now at the second two verses, verse two and three. We have this struggle in verse number one. I want you to know. I want you to know that I listen. I have this ongoing conflict. This ongoing. Striving, this internal wrestling match. I want you to know that I have this and it's for you. And now I'm going to tell you in verse number two and three what it's all about. Now, these two verses, these two verses have a lot to be found within them. First of all, I want you to notice in verse number two that Paul identifies a what and he he identifies a how. There is a what and there is a how. Paul tells us what his struggle is in verse 1, and then he tells us about his desire or rather the reason for his struggle in verse 2 and in verse 3. Look first of all at the what. The reason that Paul is striving, the goal of the strife, if you will, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. The what is encouragement or strengthen, that their hearts may be encouraged or that their hearts may be strengthened. It's our word, parakaleo. It means to call beside. It is the idea of strengthening and the idea of giving encouragement. Now ask yourself this question. Why is it that the Apostle Paul would say, though I've never met you, though I don't know too much about you, yet still I have an internal struggle, I think about you and I labor on your behalf because I want you to be strong. Why why did he want them to be so strong? Look at what's coming in verse number 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Notice that the reason why the Apostle Paul has such a strong care and desire for their strength is because he knows that they're dealing with those who would seek to ruin them, those who would seek to destroy their faith and their conviction. Again, we go back to our previous question at the end of verse number one. As it pertains to me as an individual and my brothers and sisters in Christ whom I've never seen, never met, don't know their name, don't know anything about them, but I know they exist and I know that they're there, what level of concern exists in me about those who may be false, who may be trying to steal their hearts and steal their minds? Paul's desire is that they be strengthened. He wants them to remain faithful in the face of those who seek to deceive them. But how can that happen? Look closer at the passage. We have the what and the what is be strengthened or encouraged in heart. Now we have the how, and there are three things here. Notice that he says uh, that he says being knit together in love. The idea really is as you are knit together in love. Being knit together is the idea of being united as beams and timbers in a structure. It's really a reference to unity. So he says, listen, I have an internal struggle for you, verse 1, and my struggle is that you might all be strengthened and the way that you're going to be strengthened is, number one, by being knit together and by being knit together in love. Like beams fastened to timbers in a structure, I desire that you grow in your unity. Now, how is that unity going to be made possible? Look at the next phrase. He says, "...and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ." My desire is that you be strengthened. You're going to be strengthened as you are knit together in love. Number two, as you obtain the riches of the full assurance that comes from understanding and knowledge of the mystery of Christ. Now, though that's a mouthful, so let's break it down. Their unity is going to be made possible as they each individually grow in their wealth. And the wealth that he is talking about is Assurance. It's the same kind of assurance that we sing about. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. So you're going to grow stronger when you grow more unified. And you're going to grow more unified when each one of you grow in your wealth. And the wealth that I'm talking about is assurance, confidence. And where's the confidence? Where's the assurance coming from? Notice that he mentions two things. He mentions understanding And he mentions knowledge. Understanding is a settled conviction. It's the idea of firm persuasion. And knowledge is the idea of having a full or a complete knowledge. So put it all together and here's what you have. Paul says, my desire for you is that you may be encouraged or strengthened. And the way that you will be encouraged or strengthened is by your growing closer together... And the way that you're going to grow closer together is when each and every one of you grow your wealth, which happens as a result of growing in your knowledge of the mystery of Christ. What's the mystery of Christ? Go back to chapter 1, verse 24 to 29. And remember that the Apostle Paul says the mystery of Christ, verse 27, is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when you put it all together, what we learn is that we grow stronger when we we grow closer together. And the way that we grow closer together is when each one of us as individuals grow our wealth. And that wealth grows by, by greater assurance. And the assurance comes by a greater knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then look at the last thing that he mentions in the section. This is still under the how. The what is be strengthened. The how is as you're it together in love, number one. As you obtain the riches that comes from understanding, uh, the, uh, the full assurance rather that comes from understanding and knowledge, verse number two. And then number three, he mentions, you'll notice, in verse number three, attached on to Christ at the end of verse number two, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Write down 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, and 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 and 31, and draw an arrow in your notes or in the margin of your Bible back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. The background of this book primarily deals, as you recall, with uh, Gnosticism. It's an idea or a false system of belief that has to do with knowledge and having a superior knowledge. But the, the, uh, one of the major problems with it is, is that it's knowledge that takes people away from Christ and away from the cross. And yet the Apostle Paul says real knowledge, uh, the vast wealth of knowledge, all knowledge you could, you should, uh, could say... Is found not away from Christ, but in Christ. So, what's Paul's desire? His desire is their strength and encouragement. That strength and encouragement comes when they grow closer together. And they'll only grow closer together as the church if each Christian, as an individual, grows in his or her knowledge of Christ Jesus. Now, look at the last section, verse 4 and 5. This is Paul's warning. You have his striving or his struggle in verse 1. You have his desire in verse 2 and 3. And now you have his warning in verse 4 and 5. And there are two parts to it. First of all, he says, I'm telling you this lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Persuasive words carries with it the idea of those who would stand and deceive you with false reasoning. It's like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 15 about wolves and sheep's clothing and how you're to beware of them. Or what Peter said in Second Peter chapter 2, really the whole chapter but particularly the first three or four verses where he talks about those who are false who come in and who disguise themselves and who sneakily and craftily and carefully bring in their error. They're going to stand up, Peter will say, and they're going to speak great swelling words of vanity and they are going to capture the hearts and the minds of all who will listen. That's the same kind of thing that Paul is warning about in Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 4. In other words, I have this great struggle for your spiritual benefit. And that great struggle is my desire that you be strengthened. And the reason or the way that you're strengthened is through your unity. And the way that you're unified is through your knowledge. And the reason why it's so important for you to grow in these areas is because there are a lot of people who would like to deceive you with false reasoning. And the same thing could be said today. The second thing therefore, you must stand firm. Look at verse 5. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ Jesus. It's the capstone of the section that started back in verse number 24. In this passage, Paul does a couple of things. First of all, he lets them know in no uncertain terms that even though he's not there speaking to them in person, this letter that is written by his inspired pen carries an equal weight of divine authority. But the second thing that he does in this passage is he speaks to their order and their steadfastness or their firmness. The word order has to do with an orderly military formation. It's the idea of holding the line. And it also is used in the New Testament to denote following the rules or having proper behavior. So he says, even though I'm not with you in person, I have received word, from Epaphras we read about in chapter 4, of your order. But also he says your firmness and firmness has to do with steadfastness and strength so you put it all together and here's what you have i have a great conflict for you and my conflict really is to is because of my desire and my desire is your strength my desire is your unity my desire is that strength and unity that comes from your growth in the gospel of jesus christ And the reason why this is so important is because there are a lot of people who are going to try to steal your hearts away with bad, empty, false reasoning. And listen, I want you to know that even though I'm not there, I hear and I am rejoicing to see that you are holding the line, that you are following the rules, if you will, and that you are steadfast and strong in your faith. Now, by way of conclusion, what we've seen is a context in which Paul expresses his great desire for Christians whom he has never met. And that's the main point that I would really like for us to take from this this evening. I want you to think, I want us to think about those whom we've never met, those whom we don't know well or don't know at all. What about our brethren? How strong is our desire for our brethren whom we don't know and whom we've never met? How, uh, do we spend much time at all thinking about them, praying for them, helping them in whatever way that we can? Or do we sometimes fall in the very American trap of thinking only about our group here? We look so, uh, we're so busy looking and thinking internally that we never think externally. And then here's the second. Put ourselves in the shoes of these brethren at Colossae. Do we understand the importance of growing in our knowledge of Christ Jesus? Do we understand that true spiritual strength comes only from a settled conviction of the truth of God's word? That's really the emphasis Paul is letting them know how much he desires their strength which comes only only when their knowledge and in their and their understanding of the will of God grows and when that happens when that happens then their faith will be firm and their conviction will be settled two questions to take from Colossians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5 The Lord's invitation is going to be extended now this evening, and it may be that there's someone here who has a need to respond, perhaps to obey the gospel, or perhaps you are a child of God. You've already obeyed the gospel, but you're thinking now about your own faith, about your own conviction. Is it settled or unsettled? If the Apostle Paul were writing a letter to you this evening, what kinds of things would he write? would he write something giving commendation and expressing his joy because of your settled conviction and because of the firmness of your faith and how you're standing firm against the forces of evil that strive daily to oppose God's people or would it be something altogether different would it be a plea to, to would it be a plea to improve the way that you're living Would it be a plea to dive into the Word of God and to change your priorities so that you may be stronger, so that you may be more convicted? What would it be if we can help you this evening in any way at all? Won't you come forward and let your need be known while we stand and sing the invitation song together?